this is what we're going to get into. We're going to cover the first one, wisdom. So I had you open up to Proverbs chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 1 through 6 together. And then if you've been with us before, you know that what we like to do here is we like to spend time in the Word. We like to rest in God's Word. We let God's Word speak to us without any other words or noise or anything else. Is We just rest in God's Word and we let God speak to us. So for some, it might be a little awkward to sit in silence for a minute or two, but that's what we do. So after we read this passage together, we're going to just give you a few moments to either read it again or take notes. Just sit in silence and let God speak to you, and, and whatever he says to you, write it down, because that's for you. So this is our time to let God speak to us. That makes sense? All right. So feel free, if you want to read out loud, feel free to read out loud. And if not, that's okay. But we're going to read Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. It says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. All right, so what we're talking about is wisdom, so we need to kind of do the, the teacher-student thing for a minute and we need to go back to the dictionary, and we need to define a few words. You with me on that? So what is wisdom? But before we define wisdom, you might think in your head, well, wisdom is information, or wisdom is knowledge, or wisdom is something else, maybe a combination of the two. So if we start with information, what is just info? It's facts provided or learned about something or someone, period. It's just facts. It's data. Right? You look around right now and you can pick up all kinds of information. Colors, sounds, feels, all the senses, you name it. It's just information. Does that do anything for you? Can you do anything with that information? Well, that takes us to step number two. What is knowledge? It's what is known in a particular field or in total. Facts and information. It's true, justified belief, certain understanding as opposed to opinion. So when you collect all this information about whatever it is that you're looking at, and you put that information together, you learn it, you study it, you know it, and it becomes more than just information, it becomes fact, it becomes knowledge, it becomes more than just your opinion about something. You can start to use that information. But we go one step further. What is wisdom? Wisdom is the soundness of an action or decision with regard to the application of experience, knowledge, and good judgment. Did you hear the word in there? What is wisdom? It's information and knowledge in action. It's, the, it's what you do with the information and knowledge that you have. The decisions that you make with the information and knowledge. Does that make sense? Okay, so it's, it's the action or decision with regard to the application of the information you have. It's how you use it. That's key for us as we move forward today. So getting back to our, our scripture, Proverbs chapter 2, 1 through 6, we're going to break this down really quick. 
So if you look back again at verse 1, it says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Now something, a couple words that we want to look at in this, in this verse. Number one is the word receive. Now if somebody gives you a gift, what do you do? You take it. You receive it. You accept it, right? And so that's kind of what we're talking about. But it goes beyond just taking something. I can put something in your hands and you can just stand there with it. That's it, right? But it's, so it's more than that. So when God is saying, receive my words, it actually means to take and to carry with you. Now, again, you might get bored with this analogy, but it doesn't matter. I'm an old football coach, so I'm going to use a lot of football analogies. Anybody play wide receiver? Okay, a couple receivers in the room from back in the day, all right? So when the quarterback throws the ball to his wide receiver, the wide receiver catches that ball, right? Pinkies together, catches that ball, and then just stops, right? He received it. What does he do? He runs with it. He takes that. He goes as far as he can with it. He takes that ball, becomes a part of him. He protects it, and he goes with it. Does that make sense? So that image of a receiver, God is saying, receive my words, accept them, but take them with you. That's what that word is meaning. It's, it's interesting because it's the exact same word, receive in Proverbs 2, versus the word took in Genesis chapter 2, verse 21, when God said, while Adam slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. So the same word for receive God's wisdom, when God took the rib from Adam, it's the same word. It's interesting, isn't it? Because that rib became what? It became Eve. He formed and fashioned Eve. And Eve took that, what God gave, took it with her, and it became her. So it's kind of the same word, just different ways to say it. So God is asking us to receive or take his wisdom, to carry it with us. Make it a part of who we are. You following me now? Make it a part of who we are. Don't just take it and hold on to it and do nothing with it. It should drive you forward. It should become a part of who you are. But there are steps that we need to take in order for it to become a part of us. There's another word in verse 1. There is receive, and then there's also treasure. Now, treasure means what? It means to hide. It means to cherish. And it means to protect. So when you take God's wisdom with you, as you're going on, as you have that wisdom in you, as it becomes a part of you, you're also hiding it, you're cherishing it, and you're protecting it with everything that you are and everything that you have. So how much value is God telling us in one verse that his wisdom is worth? Everything. In Psalm 119, 9 through 11, and I'm reading out of the NIV here, it says, How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. 
I've taken your word, I've taken your wisdom, and I've hidden it in my heart so that I might not sin against you. Now, you can take something and just bury it, but you will tend to maybe forget where you put it. Anybody ever done that with their keys? Not that you bury your keys, but kind of forget where you left your keys, right? You set them down, you walk away because you're not thinking about it. You're not treasuring those keys. You're not protecting, you're not hiding those keys in the sense of God's command here. And so you put them down, you walk away, and you forget. But the exact opposite with God's wisdom, he's saying, take it with you, but think about it, cherish it, protect it, value it. It's more than a set of keys, (laughs) In Psalm chapter 37, verse 31, again, Psalm 37, verse 31, says, The law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. If God's word is in us, and if we're cherishing God's word, then our steps will be what? Solid. It takes us back to the foundation upon which we stand. If we stand on the foundation of God's word, We don't slip. There's value there. There's some solidity there to God's word. The thing that a person values most highly, what he treasures, is inevitably what is going to occupy the center of his heart. So another question for you this morning is, what are you valuing in your life? What are you placing so much value on that is determining your thought process and everything that you are. Now, we're going to get beyond monetary, material things for for a minute. Everybody values things beyond the material. Do you value honor? Respect? Position or status? The awards that you can receive? If you value those things, then you're going to, what? Pursue those things. If those things are valuable to you, you're going to pursue them. Otherwise, why do they have value? If it doesn't have value, you don't go after it. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21, says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now here's the important part of this scripture. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see the correlation? What you value becomes who you are. So where are you placing your value? A little bit later on in Matthew, Jesus says these words, which apply so much to what we're talking about this morning. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 34 through 35, it says, For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. What are we treasuring? What are we bringing in? What are we valuing in our life? Because it becomes who we are. Therefore, out of the abundance of our heart, what we've treasured, the mouth speaks. So if you're bringing in God's wisdom, if you're hiding it in your heart, if you're valuing it, treasure come out when you open your mouth. Does that make sense? 
That was verse 1. Let's look at verse 2. Verse 2, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. What does it mean to make your ear attentive? Listen. Listen. But listen carefully. Pay attention. Jesus, multiple times, and when he was giving his parables and, and teaching people, he said, for those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Meaning, pay attention when God is speaking. Inclining your heart just means to stretch out your heart. Be open and available to bring in what God is giving you. Don't be so hard-hearted. Don't be so stubborn. Don't be so prideful that you don't want to be taught. You know, as a former coach, there are certain players that were coachable and certain players that were not. The players that were not is because they wouldn't take your instruction, your coaching, and apply it in the moment or in the game. Because they wanted to do things their way. They thought they were a D1 candidate when they were a freshman in high school, and they weren't going to allow their heart to be softened because they had so much pride, thought they had so much muscle, so much speed, so much skill, that when the cleats hit the field, they thought they had it all together. They weren't coachable. They didn't allow to be coached, to have instruction, to change their way of thinking, to do things that the coach saw was better for them, or to place them in a position that was better for them, because they had so much pride. I had a, I had a young man when he was a, a freshman in high school. I was a line coach at the time, and, and he wasn't a big guy. But the offense that we ran didn't need big, monstrous trees up front. We needed guys who could move. And he could move. And I said, you're going to be an offensive guard for me. Freshman, what did he say to me? I don't think so, coach. Well, oh, look who we have here. <laughs> He said, no, I'm going to be a star running back. I said, oh, you can go turn your pads in right now, young man. I don't even want you on the field. Because that mentality said you weren't even willing to try something because you had in your head so stubbornly that you were going to play this position, you weren't even willing to respect and honor the coach on the field that was giving you the opportunity to play the game. Interesting. He wasn't inclining his heart. <laughs> he wasn't opened up to learn. So how much of your heart are you giving to learn from the Lord? What does it mean when someone describes somebody as having all heart? That's another coach's term. When you see guys play on the field, they say, That's, that kid has all heart. Because no matter the circumstance, no matter his size or who he was up against or whatever was going to take place, he fought and he fought and he fought until the final whistle blew. When he got knocked down, he would get right back up again and go right back into the huddle and keep going. He wouldn't stay down. If he was hurt, he'd still play on. That's having all heart because that, his passion for the game, his desire to learn, his, his desire to win was pushing him forward that no matter what happened, no matter the circumstance, he was going to play that game with all of his heart. Verse 3 says, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding. Call out for insight and raise your voice just means literally cry, utter a loud noise, because you need help. Again, how much of our pride keeps us from asking for help? How much of our pride in who we are keeps us from actually audibly praying prayers to the Lord, asking for help, asking for insight, asking for wisdom, and then having the wherewithal to shut our mouth and listen 
So much so we just want to talk, 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 through our prayer, amen, go about my day. We don't just sit and listen for the Lord's voice. Therefore, we don't know what his voice sounds like. We don't take the time to listen. We don't take the time to slow down. We cry out. He's asking us to cry out, to speak to him, to, to talk with him, to establish that relationship with him through prayer. But we need to ask sincerely. James 1.5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. You know what that means in the Greek? It means any of you that lacks wisdom, let him ask God. There's no translation needed. If you need something, ask for it. If you want something, desire something, then seek it out, ask for it. That's what God is telling us. And what does it say? He gives generously to all those without reproach, and it will be given. Jesus said the same thing in Matthew 7, 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. Ask, seek, knock. Those all require what? Action on our part to move forward and closer to God. That's what he's asking us to do. Verse 4 says, if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures. We were talking about monetary value in certain objects earlier. So, so God is putting it into practice here. If you seek, and seek here means not to just find. This isn't a game of hide and seek. Oh, I found you. All done. Don't do anything with it. No, we have to do something with it. When God is saying, seek it like silver, you don't just find it, but again, you take it and you secure it. If you find a $100 bill on the street, you don't go, oh, look, found you, and walk away. No, you do what you need to do to pick up that $100 bill. And if you're wise, you look around and go, anybody drop this? Try and find its owner? And if not, then... Secure that bill. Put it in your wallet. Put it in your pocket if the opportunity is, is right. Don't break the law. It's not what I'm telling you right now. But that's what it's saying. It's secure that silver. Secure that wisdom. And it says search for it as hidden treasures. Anybody ever do the uh, geocaching? You guys remember that? You've done that before, where you get the little coordinates and you, you look for certain hidden objects or items. It was fun to do. It's a treasure hunt. Now, the treasure wasn't very valuable, but it was like a note, and you sign your name and you put it back in the ground. But it, the, it was the, the, uh, the, the idea of just searching for something that was hidden. It's exciting. And so God is saying now, search for it as hidden treasures. And, he, and Jesus gives us a parable in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. One verse, one parable. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has to buy the field. He says, the kingdom of hev heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. That treasure hidden in the field, that man found so valuable, he went and sold everything that he had. Because the entirety of his possessions, his material gain, was worthless as opposed to what he found in that field. Now, what does that tell us about the kingdom of God and our life here? This is worth its value 
is nothing compared to what God has promised us for the future. That when he says, take up your cross and follow me, die to yourself, because follow me now, because what I have for you later is worth so much more, I want you to sell and give up everything about your life here and come and follow me because you have no idea what I have in store for you. Has anybody ever seen that image of, of uh, it's a little child holding a teddy bear? And Jesus is kneeling down, and he's got this like three times, four times the size of a teddy bear behind his back. And he says, give me what you have. And the little child is like, no, I don't want to give up my teddy bear. But that's the idea. We don't want to give up what we have, not understanding that what Jesus has for us is so much better, so much greater than anything that we can attain now. But that starts by understanding who he is. The wisdom he has for us is worth so much more than what we think we can wrap our head around here. Isaiah chapter 55 verse 6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. We need to cry out to the Lord. In verse 5 it says, If you seek it like silver, it again is wisdom. If you seek wisdom like silver and search for it as hidden treasures... Sorry, that was verse 4. Then verse 5. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Remember last week when we were talking about our salvation, our relationship in Jesus Christ is not an if-then relationship. It's a because-therefore relationship. Okay, That pertains to salvation. When it comes to finding and seeking the wisdom of God, it's an if-then relationship. So don't get confused. Let me, let me clarify. Because what does verse 4 and 5 say? If you seek it like silver, verse 5, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. There's that if-then relationship. So when it comes to salvation, it's been done. It's been purchased. It's complete. There's nothing you have to do. But when it comes to then finding wisdom of God, understanding, Yes, we need to put in a little work. We need to seek. We need to ask. We need to knock. We need to give everything that we have. And he will give to us generously, excuse me, without reproach. He says, then you will understand. If we seek, then you will understand. Understand what? What does he tell us in verse 5? Two things. Number one, the fear of the Lord. And number two, the knowledge of God. When we talk about the fear of the Lord, fear has a certain connotation for us today. Are we, if we seek God out, if we seek his wisdom, are we going to find ourselves to be afraid of him? Find ourselves to be fearful of him? No, that's not what fear means. Fear in this case refers to reverence, awe, understanding his majesty, the glory of who God is. We need to find awe in our God again. Just to be utterly flabbergasted. Great word, isn't it? Say it. Flabbergasted. flabbergasted. You're going to keep saying that all day long. I promise you. But we need to have that awe of God again, who he is. Now, I, I found this, and it's, it's a little lengthy, but I just want you to listen to these words. It's by Paul David Tripp in his book called Dangerous Calling. But he speaks to the awe of God. Listen to these words. 
Every human being has been hardwired by God to live in daily awe of Him. It should be the thing that in some way motivates everything I do and say. Awe of God should be the reason I desire what I desire. Awe of God should be the reason I treat my wife the way I do and parent my children in the manner I do. It should be the reason I function the way I do at my job or handle my finances the way I do. It should structure the way I think about physical possession and personal position and power. Awe of God should shape and motivate my relationship with my extended family and neighbors. Awe of God should give direction to the way I live as a citizen of the wider community. It should form the way I think about myself and my expectations of others. Awe of God should lift me out of my darkest moments of discouragement and be the source of my most exuberant celebrations. Awe of God should make me more self-aware and more mournful of my sin, while it makes me more patient with and tender toward the weakness of others. It should give me the courage I would have no other way and wisdom to know when I am out of my league. Awe of God is meant to rule every domain of my existence. We need to find our awe of who God is in our life again. So we find the fear of the Lord, but we also find the knowledge of God. And the more and more you get to know somebody, the more and more intimate of a relationship you will have with that individual. Does that make sense in our life, in the physical presence now? The more you get to know somebody, the more they know you, the deeper, more connected, intimate relationship you will have with that individual. That's what we're talking about here. The knowledge of God. Understand, he knows everything about us already. There isn't anything about us that he doesn't know. So if he knows everything about us, it's up to us to seek, to call, to ask, and do everything we can to find out more about him. And when we do, the more and more and more and deeper and deeper in love with God you will be. And that only gives access to the awe that you will have for him when you get to know him more and more. And finally, verse 6 of Proverbs chapter 2. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. The Lord gives wisdom. There is only one source for true wisdom. And it's the Lord and his word. We have it in front of us now. We have access to it any moment of the day because we have our devices in our hand. We can download a Bible app. We can read the Bible and the Word of God anywhere that we are, no matter what. But we have so much access to God's Word, His instruction, His knowledge, His wisdom, that we are without excuse. We're without excuse. If we don't know more about God, if we don't know how to apply God's word to our current circumstances or situation, then that's on us. It's not on him. He's made himself available. He's saying, I'm right here. It's not about seeking because he's unknown. Sometimes all we got to do is turn around and he's standing right in front of our face. Sometimes all we got to do is open our eyes and he's right there. Open our ears and he's speaking. We just need to listen. He's not far away. He's right here. So, what's the application to all this? We've defined wisdom. We know where to find it. We know what it is. We know how valuable and important it is to our life. But I'm going to say something now that I've thought long and hard about and kind of sat back and really asked the Lord if I should say this. And 
He gave me the green light, so I'm going to say it. Here's the application to all this talk about wisdom. We need to understand why biblical wisdom needs to go beyond a simple devotional or a Sunday sermon. You catch that? Biblical wisdom needs to go beyond a simple devotion or even a Sunday sermon. I'm not that important, you guys. You put your faith and trust in me and Cameron, you're going to fall hard. You're going to fail. It goes beyond sitting in this room, walking away, and never opening this up throughout the week. It goes beyond even the wonderful devotions that we have access to through an app or books or whatever else. Those are wonderful. Don't get me wrong. Devotions can be amazing points of encouragement, amazing points of conviction. But if we leave it there and that's all it is to us, then that's idolatry. Because you're seeking the wisdom of the individual who wrote that devotional, not resting in the word of God that should drive that devotional. Are you with me? That's why we sit in the word of God here at church. Because it's not about my words. We could come in and read Proverbs 2, 1 through 6 and go home. That should be enough. If this whole place falls down and is rubbish... Technology doesn't work and it goes blank, power out, nothing. Is the word of God powerful enough that you're willing to come back and sit on the floor because you're going to hear from the word of God? Now, I stole that from David Platt, so all credit to him. But that's the, that's the image that we're getting. The word of God should be powerful enough that nothing else matters. We've got to be careful about the sermons we listen to, the messages that we're given, or the devotionals that we read, because if it doesn't rest on the Word of God and grow from the Word of God, then it's idolatry and human wisdom that is simply meant to make us feel better about our situation, and that's not the point. So it needs to go beyond that. So let me close with this portion of scripture. If you want to turn there, go ahead. Colossians chapter 2. I'll give you a minute. Colossians chapter 2, verses 2 through uh, 8. Excuse me, 2 through 8. This is why biblical wisdom needs to go beyond the momentary. Colossians chapter 2, starting in verses 2 through 4, this is what it says. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one deludes you with plausible arguments, which means enticing words. Did you hear those things? One, what is the purpose of biblical wisdom? That our hearts may be encouraged. So there is value to being encouraged. Okay, we're not meant to live in sorrow and mourning and ho-hum all day every day. We're meant to be encouraged, but it doesn't stop there. It's supposed to knit together us here in the church as a community to encourage one another, build one another up, provide for one another, but we get that from the Word of God. And it reveals everything about Jesus Christ. The full scope of God's wisdom, Genesis to Revelation, reveals Jesus Christ. But he gives a warning in verse 4. 
that no one may delude you with plausible arguments or enticing words. This is why God's wisdom is so important so we don't get caught up in the wisdom of man who thinks they know what they're talking about if it's not established on God's word. We got to be careful about it. We have to check everything. And I would beg you and, and plead that you go home with this information, the notes you've taken today, and you back them up against the word of God. And if I've said anything wrong in my own wisdom about what I get from the word of God, then let's talk about it. Let's encourage one another in it. Let's knit our hearts together, founded on the word of God and his wisdom, not ours. Does that make sense? So if we jump down to verses 6 through 8 in Colossians chapter 2, it says this, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Interesting verse 8, another warning. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, not according to Christ. Two warnings within six verses. You see how important the wisdom of God is? Because we can be so easily entrapped by the wisdom of man that it would cause us to wander and get lost and confused because we don't know what to believe because the wisdom of man is all over the place, all over the map. But God's word, God's wisdom is secure. It's solid. It can be trusted. It's true. It's right. And it stood the test of time for thousands of years. So when we let our heart, mind, and soul take root in the word of God, that foundation that we stand on, we take root in that foundation. When we take root in that foundation, we're becoming a part of that foundation. You see that visual there? Therefore, we don't move because our steps are solid. We then build our daily lives upon that foundation. That's what rooted and built up means. Root, we take root in that foundation, but then we build on that foundation. Everything about us and who we are is established on the word of God and who Jesus is. We need to establish a habitual pattern of living. A habitual pattern of living patterned after Jesus Christ. Let me give you three quick examples. In Luke 4, we read that Jesus attended the synagogue as was his custom. In Luke chapter 22, we read that Jesus prayed as was his custom. And in Mark chapter 10, verse 1, we read that Jesus taught others as was his custom. So Jesus himself lived a habitual lifestyle of learning, of teaching, of praying, and of attending the synagogue. It became and was who he was. We need to establish that same routine so that we don't get caught up again in the warning of verse 8, getting caught up in the wisdom of man. So I hope you're hearing my heart as to why wisdom is one of our four pillars, why it is one of the things that we value, and why we filter everything that we do, event, program, Sunday morning, children's, men's, women's, marriage, you name it. Number one, through that pillar and value of wisdom, because if it doesn't apply to the Word of God, and we can't apply the Word of God to it, then we're not going to do it. If we can't get into the Word of God in that event, program, ministry, or whatever else, then we don't do it. 
If, it, if that event, program, ministry, or whatever it is that we do isn't drawing us closer to God by the truth of His Word, then we don't do it. We stand on this and this alone. So that's why we value wisdom here at Eagle Ridge Lake Elsinore. Let's pray. So Father, may we continue to stand on your word of truth. We thank you for it this morning, Lord God, that we could see in every aspect and area of it that it speaks to who you are, that it reveals Jesus Christ and who we need to be and who we need to live our lives and pattern our lives after. Lord God, your word tells us that if we say that we belong to you, if we abide in you, then we ought to walk in the same manner as you walked. And so, Lord, may we be wise enough and yet humble enough to know that we need to know more about you and we can go to your word to learn how it is that you lived, how it is that you walked, served, and loved those around you so that we can pattern our lives in the same way. So, Father, I pray that we would continue to seek wisdom, continue to ask for wisdom. And the only true biblical wisdom that comes from you, your words, your voice, your word, Father God, that stands forever. Thank you, Father God, for this morning. I just pray, Lord Jesus, for every person in this room that we take into action what you need us to do. You say, ask, we need to ask. If you say, seek, may we go after it. You say, take it with you. May we do that and secure it and treasure and protect what you've given us. Thank you, Father God, for this morning. Thank you for your love. Thank you for its truth. In Jesus' name we pray.